You know, it's often necessary before you build something that you need to tear something else down to make room for it. When you plant a garden, I mean, what's one of the first things you have to do? You have to clear the land. You have to turn over the soil. You have to pull all the weeds. When you build a house, you know, you level the land. You, you dig a basement, a foundation. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, before God could build the proper attitude of worship into the Israelites, he told Gideon to go tear down the idol that had been set up to Baal. When Christ came to earth, much of his time was spent tearing down the old traditional habitual religious system that they were observing. And he had to do that before he could build into the people what true worship of God was. Before you and I could have the hope of eternal life. Before we could have an intercessor sitting down at the right hand of God. Before a mansion could ever be built for us in heaven. Jesus had to be crucified. There had to be a dying before there was a living. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 and 43 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. A dying before a living. Matter of fact, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. A dying before a living to Christ. A dying to ourself. Well, if I had to give you a simple outline of the book of Ecclesiastes that we have been looking at for the past couple of months here, I would say that Solomon has spent the first section of his book tearing down. And now he is spending the second section of his book building back up. And this is so true of your and my life. Before any of us can ever build our lives into a blessing and the joy that God wants them to be, we need to first tear down the old material. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 20 says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Christ, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust and deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and in holiness and in truth. A putting off, a taking off of the old and putting on of the new. It's a basic principle of of faith, of our spiritual lives. And Solomon has basically torn down four philosophies that we find in life today. Each one, Solomon, if you remember, he individually experienced them to their very end. He had the time, the money, the freedom, the authority to do anything that he wants. And he went to all of these philosophies to their, to their very end. And each one failed to answer the question of true happiness, of purpose, of joy. It just left Solomon with more and more questions. 
the first area that he looked at was materialism. Materialism says possession satisfied. So our goal is to provide for ourselves. You know, the person who buys into this system begins to seek his or her happiness in things. You know, a car, a lot of money, your home, a boat, toys, toys, toys. Some of you, uh, at least who are close to my age, remember there was a show on uh, years ago called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And every Sunday night for, you know, once a week, you could step into the lives of TV stars and of the rich. You could see what they drive. You could go where they go on vacation, you know, see what they eat, look at the homes that they live in. And interestingly, at the end of all of, uh, showing all of that, at the end of each of these lives that they showed, they would give the cost of the possession. They would say, this can be yours for a mere $100,000. They always mention the financial cost, but they never mentioned what the material item cost their lives. The many compromises along the way, compromises of integrity, their morality, their marriages, their friends. You see, Solomon's conclusion is seeking our happiness in materialism has a high and a hidden cost in our lives. The second thing that he looked at is a fancy word, epicureanism. It basically means if it feels good, do it. You know, don't worry about the effect that it has on you or, or what it does to those around you. Go for it. Nothing that you feel can, cause you, can give you pleasure should be withheld from you. And don't worry about the consequences. The third area that Solomon uh, delved into was humanism. Humanism says we are the masters of our own fate. We control it. We control our destiny. No one else controls our destiny. We are strong. We're strong enough to pull it off. You know, grit our teeth, buckle down, grab those bootstraps, cinch them up. You can do this. You know, that strength is within us. And kind of on the opposite extreme of that was the fourth thing, which was fatalism. And that's kind of the attitude of just resigning ourselves. You know, just giving in. Whatever comes, comes. Whether it's good or bad, you know, there's not a lot that you can do about it. You know, kind of, que sera, sera. You know, what'll be, what'll be. So for nine chapters, Solomon has been blasting away at the foundation of life under the sun. We would probably say as a Christian, he's been blasting away the old man, our old nature. But he has blasted away for a purpose so that God can now properly build the new man. And this is a truth that is, is overriding in chapter 9 that we're going to be looking at today. That Christ, that God does not coexist with the world. God does not coexist. He will not share the throne of your life with anything else. And this is where many people, many believers struggle as they're seeking after God. I mean, we hear about the unconditional love of God. We, we, we read about and, and hear messages about the relationship that, that God offers and wants to have with us. But so many times we try to make it coexist 
with a sinful or, or an uncommitted lifestyle. You know, we kind of want to straddle the fence. You know, you know you, you, we want faith, and man, those things make so much sense, and the word of God, and, and the truth, and, and the relationship he talks about, but we're not willing to blast away so there will be room for it. <coughs> we want to declare ourselves to God, but we're unwilling to trust him and take the hard steps necessary in our lives. So this is what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at what it means to blast away so we can make room for God and purpose in life. I'm going to be reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 9. He says, For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men and wise men and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and one for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As a good man is, so is a sinner. As a swearer is, so is one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all, for whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal has already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works." Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman with whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which is, but he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Now for chapter after monotonous chapter, Solomon has told us what not to rely on what not to put our hope in, not what to put our trust in. Now he begins to give us things that have substance, things that you can count on, you know, that you, that, that you can put as a foundation. And he starts in verse 1. He says the first thing is you can count on the fact that God is sovereign. You can count on the sovereign hand of God. He says, for I have taken all this to my heart, and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. You see, there are a lot of things that you and I cannot control. But one thing that you can count on, one thing that you can trust, is that your life is in the hand of God. Regardless of who you are, the hand of God is upon you. It doesn't matter what race you are, what sex you are, what color you are, what income bracket you fall into. Francis Schaeffer says, God is there. 
and he is not silent. You see, Solomon wants us to know that our lives are not being aimlessly tossed through life, through circumstances, and that God's not there. Now, this doesn't mean that God's going to give you periodical updates on what's going on in your life. I mean, don't miss the four words in verse 1. It goes on and says, man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Man doesn't know. We don't know. Being in the hand of God is not synonymous with the guarantee of prosperity or comfort or not having pain. No man knows whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. They say, well, wait a minute. How is that good news? The point he's trying to make here is, you know, we may not know what's ahead of us. It might, you know, humanly speaking, be good or bad. But what does help us is the knowledge that whatever happens, God knows. That your life, my life, is never out of the hand of God and out of the hand of his control. I know many people feel that, you know, Christianity should be synonymous for God, you know, come solving all of our problems, answering all of our human prayers. When it's really not, it's, it's, it's about God's assurance that he is there amidst every single thing that comes into our life. You know, when things come into our life, you know, God has allowed it. God has a purpose for it, whether it is love or whether it is hatred, whether it is good or whether it is bad. You can count that the sovereign hand of God is on your life. You, God has a purpose for you. Next, second thing that you can count on the absolute certainty of death. And unless the Lord returns, everybody who has been born is going to die. It says in verse 2, It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and one for the wicked, for the good, for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Awaits us all. And you can count on that. I mean, someone once said, Debt is a, death is a debt that we all must pay. You know, some, you know, we pay it later, some pay it earlier. And, and really, this isn't just Solomon saying this in, in his wisdom that God has led him to. You could find this truth all through Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me, in Genesis 3, it says, For you are dust, and to dust ye shall return. Psalm 89 says, What man can live and not see death? Ezekiel 18, The soul who sins will die. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as one, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. James chapter 4, verse 14 says, You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I mean, you might feel invincible. You might not even think about it. That's the last thing on my mind, that someday I'm going to die. But Solomon wants us to get a grip on some tough facts. And not the least of these is the absolute certainty that one day your life down here, my life down here, is going to be over. 
The third true-to-life fact is that evil and insanity resides in the human heart. Evil and insanity reside in the human heart. The end of verse 3 says, Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. And afterwards, they go, uh, they go to the dead. I mean, think about this. This is rather scary what he's saying here, that within each and every one of us, there is an evil. You know, there is a madness lurking. We call it, there's a sin nature. And in every single person is born with a sin nature. Now, we have a choice on how much we drink from that sin nature. But the truth is the potential for the worst possible things in humanity are within each and every one of us. And you can't say that, oh, I would never do that. That could never happen to me. I would never make those choices. That's not true. Within each and every one of us is the potential. Obviously, we all drink from that potential differently, but it is still there. I mean, think about our world and, and everything that's going around it. How, how can you explain the moral madness that is happening? You know, the breakdown of rules, of, of integrity, of truth. There's an insanity within man's heart. Look at the sexual madness that is taking place all around us. The blatant, unashamed openness of something that is supposed to be so pure, you know, between a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Think about the materialistic madness that is driving so many of the decisions of our world. Seeping out from the hearts of men is this insane evil. Within every human heart, there is this private, polluted pool, a reservoir of madness. You can drink from it. You can swim in it. It is your own private pool, and everybody has one. And it's ours to choose what we do with it, how much we participate in it. Think about one of the most uh, well-known parables in, in all of Scripture, the prodigal son. I mean, we all remember what he did. He left home, loving father, you know, seemed to have everything physically of their time that a person could possibly have. And he leaves home and chooses to live out his madness. He takes in his, his inheritance, his future, and he spends it on drink. He, he spends his, he indulged, he turned away from God. Anything that his conscience wanted to do, he did. And we need to note what God said happened to him before he became the prodigal son who returned back to his father. It says in Luke chapter 18, verse 17, it says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. But when he came to his senses. There's an insanity. And, and I'm sure I can attest, you can attest to some decisions that you look at that you made in your past and you said, what was I thinking? What, what did I think was going to happen? Why did I do that? That's that sin nature. That, that, that's that pool that we, we choose or not choose to, to dip our feet into. How else can you explain a person saying, I know it's wrong, 
And all around me, I, I see, you know, signposts that say, don't do this. But I'm going to do it anyway. You know, within us is this pool of evil. And Solomon wants us to know that this is a fact. So we can be wary of it. And we're going to put this all together in just a moment here. But there is one final fact we're given here. And that's number four. That there is hope for living. There is hope for you. Whoever you are. Whatever has happened in your life. There is hope for you. If you are still alive. Verse four through six. He says forever is joined with all the living. There is hope. Surely a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any, mem- any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal has already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. I mean, it's a very simple fact. He's stating there that if you are still alive, you may find hope. Once you die, it's over. That choice to say, well, I'm going to be a more loving person or I'm going to show more hate or whatever, that it's done. You know, that, that choice isn't there anymore. Solomon uses an old Arabic proverb to express that point. Now, this proverb he uses here, it isn't quite as powerful to us because we don't, you know, culturally we don't have their understanding of it. Um, we treat dogs like they're part of our family. You know, we feed them, you know, get them special beds. We play with them, you know, depending on what size they are. We let them sit on our laps. You know, they're, they're part of our family. You know, matter of fact, you say, well, that's a dog's life. And, you know, that's kind of a, a compliment of, you know, the, the ease that a dog has. But in, in the time of Solomon, dogs were diseased mongrels. They ran in packs throughout the city. People avoided them. You didn't have animals in the house. You know, and so, so when they says there, better to be living, you know, and uh, in verse 4 says, excuse me, better a live dog is better than a dead lion. That's what he's talking about. You know, it's better to be living and to be a, a despised animal than to be dead and be the king of the beasts. Why? Because if the king of the jungle is dead, there is no hope. He cannot change. But with life comes the presence of hope and a free will and a choice that we have been given for what we are going to do with our lives. And if you are alive, then regardless of what has ever happened in your life, there is hope for you to prepare for death. There is a hope for you to change the trajectory of your life today. Once you're dead... You know, failure to prepare, it's gone. There's no hope. So, so let's kind of take a moment here before we, we kind of wrap this up. I want to take a moment here and apply these four points to New Testament truths. And we take these truths, these are universal truths that Solomon is sharing here, and now we come into our faith, into the Lord Jesus Christ. We come into the church age, the age of grace, grace, the age of Christ dying for our sins, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's kind of apply them to our situation here today. Number one, everyone's life is in the hand of God. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, God gave you life. God gave you breath. It is a gift that God has given. Your life is in his hand. No man is left in limbo. 
God is working. God is moving in your life. Number two, all here, everybody who hears my voice, everyone, you know, who's going to hear this message this Sunday, all of us, unless the Lord intervenes, we are going to come to death. We're all going to die. Barring the Lord's return, we will all face it. Someday we will not be participating in life under the sun anymore. Number three, passed on to us along with the certainty of death is the fact that we have a sin nature. A sin nature that we will all answer to. A nature that must be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ or we will spend an eternity in hell. We have all been born with that. And the only way that stain gets removed of sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And number four, if you are alive and you haven't given your life to Christ as Lord and Savior, this can be the day. You could change the trajectory of your life, of sin, of hell, to be replaced with hope, with forgiveness, with heaven, with an eternity with God. There is still hope for you if you are alive. It doesn't matter what you have done. You looked at your life and you may say, well, God doesn't want me. I don't know how many people say to me all the time, well, you know, I'll invite them to church and, you know, to come. And, well, I want to, got to get my life straightened out a little before I come to church. No. At any moment, you have hope if you have breath that you can give your life to Christ. At any moment, you can turn to him. At any moment, you can be forgiven of your sins. Once dead, that hope is gone. But while you are alive, today can be your day of salvation. Now as we go on just a little farther and kind of bring it to a, a, a close here, I believe Solomon is kind of expanding on these thoughts in the last four verses that we read here. Um, for those of us, in other words, who have hope left, for those of us who have life, we may say, again, applying it to to, to us, you know, those of us who are Christians, Solomon then goes on to tell us how to live that life. If you have hope, if you've given that hope, if you've given your life to Christ, how do you live that life? How do you take hope and turn it into a reality of joy for your life today? <coughs> Excuse me, let me read verses 7 through 9. He says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you, given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Solomon is addressing those with hope in God, and for us we would say those who are Christians. Let me speak to the church for just a moment today, let me, let me speak to Christ's family here. The first advice that he gives us is to live life to its fullest. This is ordained by God. He has given you life. He has placed you in this life. And whatever that life is, he wants you to live it to its fullest. He says in verse thir- 7, Go then, eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. You know, it may not be the fullest life there is compared to other people and the things that they might have, but, you know, live the fullest life that you have. If you are a Christian, life is not 
a sentence leveled against us. God is not angry with us. He is satisfied. He says he is contented. He is at peace. He has already approved your works, not because of you, but because of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, through the atonement of Christ, through the covering of Jesus Christ, when he, when he looks at us, he sees his son. If you are a child of his, God has already accepted thy works. God favors what you do as a Christian. Because we are in Christ, we are no longer, you know, distant enemies of God, but we are intimate friends. And if you know Christ as your Savior, what a wonderful hope that there is for believers. So he says, enjoy the life that he has given you. Enjoy life. Verse 8 gives us a hint at how we're supposed to do that. He says, let your clothes be white all the time. And let not the oil be lacking on your head. White in Scripture is a symbol of purity. So what he's calling us to is not go live life and do what you want. If you want to be happy, if you want that joy that God wants for his children, you know, enjoy the pure things that God has given you. The true things that God has brought into your life to bring enjoyment. He talks about oil there. You know, on our heads, oil is commonly a symbol of the Spirit of God. It's like he's saying, let God's Spirit be your guide in, in everything you do. That kind of leads us, you couple those two things, it leads us to the second advice he's given us, is to walk in purity as a Christian, walk in purity and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The idea is to live a pure and a godly life. Let the power of the Spirit flow through us. God's grace frees us from the guilt of sin. Walking in Christ, we are free to enjoy life. So let God lead you to the pure things, that, the meaningful things, the deep things of life, the things that will last. Number three, taking that enjoyment into a specific area, Solomon says in verse 9, enjoy life with the woman with whom you love all the days of your life, of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. When he's saying basically, husbands, your wives are to be a target of your joy in the midst of that relationship. If you're married, you know, your wife, you know, God has given, it's a gift. This is one of the, the, the pure things. This is one of the, the things of the oil anointing on our head that God has given you to enjoy life, that relationship. Wives, your husbands, the same thing have been given to you. They're to be the target of your joy. I mean, you might say, live it up with your, with your wife. Live it up with your husband. In this life that is often so cumbersome and monotonous and meaningless and so many endless activities... If you are married, you have been given a mate to go through life with, to find love, to find joy in the midst of him or in the midst of her. And truth be told, far too many couples have stopped having fun and enjoyment. When the honeymoon is over, the man is settled, working, you know, 45 hours a week, comes home, he tinkers around in his garage, comes in, watches a little TV, and he goes to bed. The woman busies herself with the home, family. You know, if their paths cross, 
fine. If not, fine. God's desire is, is to say is to not let the joy out of your marriage. Experience life together. I mean, life under the sun is tough under any circumstances. But if you are married, you have given your spouse to be part of that, that joy. When it's time to have fun, then have it, have it with your mate. They've been given to you. That's what Solomon is saying when he, when he writes, that is thy portion in this life. You know, to find joy. That's one of the things, the, the true things, the pure things that God has given you. That is where fullness and happiness lie. Now, kind of summarizing what we're to build after we tear down, you know, that old building of our lives, what we're to build upon it. Um, let's summarize it real quickly. He says, build your life around your walk with God. Build your life in purity. Build your life guided by the Holy Spirit, by God's, that voice that is directing you in, in the choices that you make. When you do that, with it comes the freedom of guilt, the freedom of fear. With it comes, you know, joy, you know, and, and happiness. With it comes commitment to God and commitment to our marriage and to our spouses. Now, as I was kind of finishing this message, you know, it occurs to me that week after week, we come together, sometimes in unique circumstances, and we come together, you know, not necessarily in the church, but constantly God's truth is being placed before us in so many different ways. When we are functioning normal, we have Sunday school and ABF, we have you know, the, the worship music. We have scripture. We have the messages that are preached, lessons that are taught. God is constantly calling us to himself. His spirit is constantly resonating within our hearts to bring us truth, meaning, purpose, joy, to be more like Jesus and to be less like us, like humans. And sometimes we fight God's word to us. Sometimes, you know, we come to church, we hear the message, we hear the Sunday school lesson, whatever it is, and we just bury it under layers of busyness in our life. But I believe today that God is calling, God is speaking to each and every one of us today. God is speaking to you. He's speaking directly to you about something that needs to change in your life right now before you can begin moving forward in your relationship with God. If you've not yet asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, if he is not your Lord and Savior, you haven't asked him into your heart, you know, what needs to change before you can begin going forward with God is you need to become one of his children. You need your sins forgiven. And that only comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Right now, you can pray. You can be saved. But even if you have done that today as I have, I mean, God is speaking to us today. There are some things that maybe we need to change, that we need to recommit to, that we need to refocus upon today before we begin moving forward with God. And I just want, I want to challenge you to take a moment and listen to God. You know, pause, you know, whatever you're watching right now, however this is get, message is getting to, and just pause it. 
and sit quietly before God and just open up your heart to him. Be willing to hear. Trust him. God is sovereign. You are in his hands. He wants you to, he wants you to have that pure joy in your life. He wants to give you that guidance in your life. He's not trying to hide it from you. No matter where you are, no matter how lost you may be today, God says if you're alive, there is hope. Because at any moment you can come to Christ for forgiveness of your sins or to be restored in your relationship. Let's pray together. Father God, as, as I pray for those who are listening to this, I, Lord, I pray for myself as well. Open up my heart, Father, to your truth. It is, it's an excuse, Father, but it is so easy to get caught up in the culture, get caught up in the current of life, and pretty soon we find that we're pretty far away from shore. We're far away from where we really want to be. Open our hearts, Lord, in a very practical way. Show us what needs to happen in our life for us to continue or begin that walk with you. Thank you, Father, that my life is in your hands. I trust you. I pray these things in thy son's precious name.